This is The Drive with Josh Graham podcast. Tune into The Drive weekday afternoons 3 to 7 on Sports Hub Triad. You're tuned into a massive Tuesday drive where we're going to be joined by Matthew McConaughey in 30 minutes. So you're not going to want to miss that. But 15 days out from the start of the college basketball season, we finally got an ACC schedule in our hands. And since the league offices in Wake Forest both share the Piedmont Triad, both call the Triad home, I've got to ask this question. Um, ACC, what did Wake Forest do to hurt you? Because no team today got smacked worse by their schedule than the Demon Deacons. Robert Walsh is the producer of this show, back in that chair after days of debauchery and golfing in the state of Florida. Robert, I got a question for you. Did you ever work at a place that had the quiet, nice guy that would never stick up for himself? Had enough people there where he's just a guy keeping to himself, kind of quiet, never gave anybody any issues, so... Nobody really bugged him? No, nah, not really. I always find somebody to bug, whether they're quiet or not. So yeah. I don't know if he got away with it. I've worked in bigger places before, and odds are there's generally the bully that doesn't mind taking advantage of him for no obvious reason would just torture this guy to the point you're watching out of the corner of your eye and thinking, damn, dude, the bully in this instance is the ACC schedule maker. The shy guy is Wake Forest. And let me break down why. Just an unforgivably tough five-game stretch to start. Steve Forbes is the only new basketball coach in the league, and the only way I can explain why he got hammered this badly is that the ACC has some type of hazing initiative. Hey, bro, you're going to have to dress like a dog for a month in order to be a part of this frat. Well, Steve Forbes probably won't have to do that, but he will have to open up with Virginia and play the Cavaliers twice in the first five games. (laughs) Virginia, who I think is the best team in the conference. They're going to cap that that five-game stretch with three straight road games away from Winston-Salem, and that's going to be capped with a visit to Cameron Indoor Stadium going up against Duke. And if we're going to go outside the top five games that they play the first five, They then have to host Louisville, which is not going to be easy at all. But that's just the beginning. Surely it gets better, right? Let's look at the end of the schedule. It's how you start and how you finish. Wake Forest is on the road for two of the last three games. Just the area where you're trying to get your traction going into the ACC tournament. Here's two out of three more games away from your home. Another disappointment. For the second time in three years... No ACC Big Ten Challenge game for the Demon Deacons. They're supposed to rotate that amongst the 15 teams in the conference, so that way, you know, you don't miss the challenge, but every decade or so, two of the last three years, Wake Forest hasn't hosted a team since 2017 in the challenge. So that's a bummer, too. Gosh, and it's not just basketball. We were having this same conversation months ago about football. And I understand if you're listening to me right now, griping about the Demon Deacon schedule, thinking that I might be a Wake Forest homer. Odds are, if you're thinking that way, you've already called me a Carolina or a Duke homer this week. I don't really care. I'm calling it how I see it here. And I know most sports radio hosts say that, but in this instance, just explain it to me. Wake Forest football. They put together that new schedule, Robert. And here's what the Demon Deacons came up with in August. Clemson to open up at NC State the next week. Oh, then you got Notre Dame week three. Ooh. Tough. If it wasn't for Wake Forest catching a break, getting a breather, with Notre Dame having some positives, uh, preventing for that game to be played the third week, who knows where Wake Forest is going to be. The Demon Deacons needed to get a breather, and we see Wake Forest came out of it winning their next four. If they play Notre Dame that week and lose and start 0-3, I don't think they're nearly where they're at today. So good for Wake Forest overcoming that. It was just a couple years ago we were talking about the league giving Wake Forest two Thursday night games in the middle of the season. 
you usually only get one of those and you'd be unfortunate just to get the one. Tell me the last time Clemson played on a Thursday night in the middle of the year. And don't come to me with the opener. That doesn't really count. You're not on a short week playing the opener like they did against Georgia Tech last year. They don't do that to Clemson, but they'll do it to Wake Forest. And they'll do it to them twice in the same year, something that before 2018 hadn't happened in a dozen years. So I'll ask again, since the league offices in our listening radius, and we odds are some of them are listening to this right now, including folks at Wake Forest. What did Wake Forest do to you? Why are they the ones getting hammered here? You can tweet the show at Sports Hub Triad if you'd like. 336-777-1600 is the phone number. Matthew McConaughey in over 20 minutes. Look forward to catching up with him. It had me thinking what my favorite McConaughey roles are. I'll tell you that list in 10 minutes. Last night on Sports Hub Triad, it was the Patriots rallying from behind to beat the Jets. Cam Newton got off the schneid, had himself a nice game. So the reporter had to do the obvious thing. The reporter had to ask Cam what the difference was last night versus the previous few weeks. And this is the part of Cam I miss, him not being in Charlotte anymore. I miss the post-game press conferences. Cam, it seems like you've been more efficient as a passer over the last couple of weeks. You haven't thrown any interceptions. Uh, what's been the difference over the last couple of weeks versus maybe the, the few weeks that preceded these games? I'm getting tired of sucking. Simple. Pretty simple, Robert. Cam Newton just had enough of sucking. Helps he's playing the Jets, too. Yeah, they're not very good. Cam Newton, if he was still in Charlotte, the season would all be about Cam. It would be about Cam's future, not the team's future. And you might be thinking this sounds like I'm calling Cam selfish, which I'm not. This is not something that you can really blame on Cam. It just so happens when you're the MVP of the NFL in any given season, you're going to get a lot more attention, especially when you're a national champ and a Heisman Trophy winner and do all these television events and such. When Cam Newton's on your team, when Cam Newton's on your roster, he absorbs a lot of the oxygen out of the room. So this isn't me calling Cam selfish. If he was still on the roster for the Panthers and not Teddy, every single game it would be, did Cam deserve the contract extension? Or is he not going to be on the team next year? Is Cam going to be on the team next year or is he not? Every single week. And that's what the Patriots are dealing with right now. Cam, bad the last two weeks. Last night, very good. A couple of touchdown runs, threw for 274 yards. He was really good. Then it turned the ball over. New England has to answer that question. Fortunately, Carolina does not. Right now, they can focus on the future with the new coaching staff and building things together. More of the attention's been on that than would be put on Cam's situation, him being an MVP and playing the quarterback position. Odds are, if he was still on the Panthers, I'd probably bet Carolina extends him. Just like with Teddy, uh, odds are Carolina would win more games than is necessary to be a top-five pick, so they'd be too good to get a Justin Fields or a Trevor Lawrence. So they probably look at their circumstance and think, hmm, this guy, he's been here for 10 years. Fans love him. He's beloved. He's made us relevant. He's good enough where we can be competitive. Ah, we'll give him a three-year contract. That's probably what would have happened if Cam remained in Charlotte. It wouldn't be the best thing for Carolina because now what we've seen, there are better options out there, including Teddy Bridgewater. Teddy's been a better option in almost every single way than Cam. And I love Cam. And I love everything he's done for the state of North Carolina and making the Panthers relevant. But in almost every single way, Teddy has proven to be the better guy for the team right now. Cheaper. Cheaper long-term. $20 million contract, $2 million cheaper than Cam this year. And it's for two more seasons beyond this year. If you kept Cam around, odds are he'd be looking for more than what he had in his prior contract. Teddy, happy birthday to Teddy Bridgewater today. Teddy just turned 28 years old, so he's three-plus years younger than Cam is. Knows Joe Brady's offense, dating back to their days together in New Orleans. And he's been more productive. Teddy, 11 touchdowns 
to just six interceptions. Cam, only two touchdown passes to seven picks. Oh, but Josh, what about the running element? Cam only has 134 more rushing yards than Teddy does this year. Teddy has a couple of touchdown runs, too. This isn't me saying Teddy's as good as a runner as Cam. What I am saying is Teddy's a better fit for this offense. Teddy's been a more productive player than Cam Newton is at the moment. So, I hope the best for Cam. I was happy to see him playing well last night, but I'm also happy he's moved on from Carolina because I think it's better for both parties that they part ways. All right, as I mentioned, Matthew McConaughey, he's going to join us in a little less than 20 minutes. So I've got my five favorite McConaughey roles that I'll reveal to you. Robert, I don't know if I should include TV shows in this. And how long does McConaughey have to be in the movie for it to be included? Like, was he in Wolf of Wall Street long enough for that to be counted? And yeah. does True Detective count? Uh, I would say True Detective, if you're if you're labeling that under the TV thing, it definitely counts because that role was pretty memorable and it was the best season of that show. I think people would remember that. And yeah, I think he was in Wolf of Wall Street long enough to count. Everybody remembers the the chess beating part, so I think both of those clear up. What about Tropic Thunder? Uh, trying to get Ben Stiller's TiVo straight. You really love that movie. Like, I do. It's a funny movie. It doesn't date well, but I think it's funny. I. I don't know if that's where my mind goes when someone says Matthew McConaughey. That might be too small of a role and maybe a little insulting if he was to hear you say, oh, yeah, what if, one of my favorite Matthew McConaughey moments was that three-second clip. There's no doubt he's listening right now. My apologies to Matt. Sorry, Matty. All right, so we're going to be joined by McConaughey at the bottom of the hour. I'll get to those five roles. And I think there's a massive missed opportunity that the ACC missed here. With the schedule released this morning. I'll tell you what that is next on The Drive. Now comes the moment you have all been waiting for. All right, whenever you're ready. Back to The Drive with Josh Graham on Sports Hub Triad. I'm Matthew McConaughey will be here in 15 minutes. So I'll list off my five favorite roles of his in a bit. But on the ACC scheduling front, I absolutely love this stat. NC State is going to host North Carolina on December 22nd this year. That's the first time they've played. They're set to play, I should say. I guess nothing's for sure in 2020. It's set to be the first time they meet before the new year since 1979. Those are the old Big Four tournament days. So I feel like a missed opportunity. Uh, It was a missed opportunity for the ACC not to have potentially the old Big Four tournament just for this year. How cool of an idea would this be? Robert, I know you have your own idea for college basketball and the ACC this year, so I'll leave some time for you on that. But think about it. It will require no travel for the ACC Big Four practically, no air travel at least. You could have a bubble if you want. You could create one at the Greensboro Coliseum. If you wanted to get crazy... You could knock out all the in-state matchups set to be played this year in one swoop, in one week. We could call it the Super Big Four Tournament. At worst, it would just knock out all the games that are already set to happen this year. Two games apiece for everybody. If you're unfamiliar, you would have, I think, order of finish for the ACC teams the previous year, and it would be one versus four, two versus three, The winners would play each other, and then you would have the losers face each other uh, in a third-place game. At worst, it would knock out two games apiece for all four of the ACC's Big Four. I get why you can't do that in a normal year, because you want to have home court advantage for these important ACC games. But since we're not worried about fans this year, Duke, for example, already announcing no fans will be at Cameron Indoor Stadium for the start of the season, then what exactly is holding the ACC back from trying something different? It would be a rare marketing opportunity. Draw back on the history of the sport. It would be a good uh, nod towards Greensboro. Build some goodwill there because they lost the ACC tournament they were looking forward to for five years 
earlier this year, and the conference can't return the tournament until 2023. So I think this would be a really neat deal. I know it's crazy. Robert, I think you have something that's less crazy, though. Would you like to pitch that? Yeah, I think they should just not release a schedule at all. And like I, they did this morning? Yeah, no schedule. Re redact the schedule. Take that away. And then put everybody in a bubble. I think the bubble idea is safe. Okay. Where's and, the bubble at? Greensboro Coliseum? Yeah, sure. Wherever. You pick it. Doesn't matter to me. Any kind of bubble works. The bubble bowl, for all I care. Um, bring all the teams in there. Don't let any fans in. Nobody, No fans are getting in at all. No fans are getting in. No fans, but I think that they could like broadcast this on the ACC streaming platform, whatever the heck that is. I'm sure that's a thing. ACC Network. They have yeah. their own linear television station now. Yeah, there you go. Run it on there, and just don't tell anybody who the hell's playing. Just, who's playing today? Oh, I have absolutely no idea. I'm going to have to check and watch out. Oh, it's Duke and Boston the College. Teams, the teams can't tell anybody. You can't talk to one another and tell when you're set to play. So you're given, how about you, you're given us a, a, a small little piece of paper that slid underneath the head coach's door that says, be at the gym four o'clock. Yeah. And I, that's I it. And then one team shows up at four and then the fight song starts playing of the other team and they start streaming out onto the court. Like it's uh like it's what's it called? The battle Royale. Yeah. 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 As long as no team knows Is that what they call it in wrestling. The Rumble Royal. Oh, the the Rumble Royal. Or Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble. Royal Rumble. See, I feel like you're messing with me now. I am Is it Royal Rumble or Rumble Royal? It's, it's Royal Rumble. It's the Royal Rumble. But okay. you were close at first. It's a battle royal when people just have to throw each other over the battle top. Battle Royale! Yeah, 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 exactly. But I think the teams not knowing who they're playing, <laughs> you have no clue. You don't know if you're getting Duke, Carolina, or you're getting Boston College and Pitt. Oh, my God! Is Jim Ross going to be calling it? He's with TNT now. Maybe they can make that work. Oh, my God. That's Duke's music. <laughs> there goes Coach K. Syracuse has a family. <laughs> Who is not at this game today? <laughs> yeah, I think that'd be way better. That's not a bad idea. All right. As I mentioned, McConaughey going to join us in 10 minutes. So I got my five favorite McConaughey movies. I'm going to go ahead and knock out True Detective. That's not going to be included in this. There were some some really tough decisions to be made here. Really tough calls. So, let's get it started, and we start with... Number five. A Time to Kill. Robert, have you seen A Time to Kill and Lincoln Lawyer? Uh, I've seen pieces of Lincoln Lawyer. It has been a minute since I've seen A Time to Kill. It was that dramatic performance in Lincoln Lawyer that led to the wheels turning for him to get Dallas Buyers Club and ultimately win his only Oscar, give that great speech. So it was tough knocking out Lincoln Lawyer, but I feel like the reason Lincoln Lawyer came to be was because of A Time to Kill. Uh, the reason A Time to Kill's at number five isn't because of McConaughey, it's because of Samuel Jackson. Do you want to do an impression real quick of Samuel Jackson from that movie? I don't think I can. If yeah, you, you can. Get, you give it a shot. Yes, they deserve to die, and I hope they burn in hell! <laughs> That's number five. Not bad. Number four. Ghost of Girlfriends Pass. I'm a huge McConaughey fan because I love romantic comedies. I'm a sucker for romantic comedies, and he did a number of good ones. I'm also a big fan of Jennifer Garner. Had a big crush on her growing up. 13 going on 30 to my generation's girls, like girls of my generation, is like what Anchorman is to dudes. It's an important movie. I don't know if it's a really high-quality movie, but Jennifer Garner's very important to a lot of people. 13 Going on 30 is not a McConaughey movie. Ghost of Girlfriends Past is, though. Love it. Also, Emma Stone's in there. Hard to miss with that one. I think that might be the last of the McConaughey rom-coms, too. So Ghost of Girlfriends Past has to make the last. I pictured you as a failure-to-launch guy. Number three. Never saw Failure to Launch. The idea of Terry Bradshaw's uh, bare buttocks scared me off from watching it. Yeah, it's the only reason I watched because it said nudity, and then that was all you got to see. Very Dazed upsetting. and Confused is number three on this list. You strike me as somebody who would love Dazed and Confused. I do love Dazed and Confused. Classic Young Affleck. line in this movie. But what's cool about it, doing homework on the book that McConaughey has 
dropping, and it's part of the reason why he's coming on with us. Um, the book's called Green Lights. The first day of his first movie, Days to Confuse, he did the line, all right, all right, all right. That's the first thing he ever spoke while being filmed for a movie in the 90s. And that line is still attached to him, which I find to be absolutely nuts. So that's number three, Dazed and Confused. Number two. It's getting tough. Dallas, uh, Dallas Buyers Club. It's his best movie critically. Unbelievable performance. It's tough to figure out whether or not his performance was the best or Jared Leto. Jared Leto was just stupid good in this as well. I think it's on Netflix. Might have to go watch that again, even though it's not really a strong rewatchable movie. Dallas Buyers Club in the top five. Number one. Also, Jennifer Garner's in that movie, so she had the she bumped this one up for sure. How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days. Iconic. When I'm thinking quintessential McConaughey, I'm thinking about him in a rom-com. Even though he's great in a lot of other movies, as we've covered, I think of him in a rom-com. I'm thinking of the cover where he's leaning back and you got Kate Hudson in the yellow dress with her arms crossed they're playing a game that i can't say the title of on this show because of the fcc oh yeah twister how to lose a guy in 10 days that is number one my favorite mcconaughey movies i'm sorry interstellar was just too confusing for me it was it went a step too far there are so many cool little nuggets about interstellar though like uh they planted all of those fields with real corn it's not cgi and then they sold that corn to help pay for the movie. Like I, I, There's just so many cool little nuggets with Interstellar. I love it. Not enough McConaughey and Wolf of Wall Street. Tropic Thunder, not enough either. You're not a big fan of that movie. But Wolf of Wall Street, I think he's only in like two or three mo- minutes of the movie. Just him doing the chess thing and giving the speech. I don't think he's at any other point in the movie, is he? Uh, he does an introduction at the beginning when he joins the the firm, I think. But yeah, he doesn't have a lot of screen time, but still a, a memorable part of that. Okay, so here's what we're going to cover with McConaughey. Some of you are confused. Why is McConaughey coming on this show? One, it's because we're a, a big freaking deal here. Two, he's boys with Mac Brown at Carolina. Uh, so we'll talk football. He loves football. Also, Robert, you're an East Carolina grad. I'm an East Carolina grad. I've been to both Joan C. Edwards Stadium in Huntington, West Virginia, and, of course, Dowdy Ficklin in Greenville, America. They both have the same plaque on their walls in the stadium that honor the victim's loss from that tragic plane crash in 1970. Saturday marks the 50-year anniversary of that tragic crash which led to the plot being made of, uh, led to the plot of the movie McConaughey starred in. We are Marshall. So we'll get to that. Maybe some other stuff as well. It's bound to be a lot of fun. The man, the myth, the legend, Matthew McConaughey, will join the drive. Now that we've seen the Pac-12 in action and Clemson, Upended in the ACC for the first time in a really long time. It took a lot more work doing my college football top 10 this week, but we have it ready for you. Some shakeup near the top. How far did the Clemson Tigers fall? We dive into that right now. 10 through 1, I break down the best teams I've seen play. These are my current rankings in college football. And let's start... With number Number 10. There we go. Number 10, we're going with the Oregon Ducks. First game, they're the team with the most hype out of the Pac-12. Looked pretty good against Stanford. Stanford was shorthanded in the game. That didn't bother Oregon. I'm a big fan of what they're doing over there. They got Coach Moorhead as the offensive coordinator. I like what Oregon looks like. My big question is, Will they have enough hype behind them to get into the college football playoff? I can't rule them out yet, but six games with no wiggle room for the Pac-12, that's going to make things difficult. It almost seems like they need to go unbeaten in the regular season. They don't play USC, and USC needs to go unbeaten. 
and the winner of that head-to-head matchup will have a shot at going to the playoff. But knowing the Pac-12, they're going to find a way to mess it up. I did like USC last weekend, too. They got this quarterback, Sloven, Slovis, excuse me, had that game-winning touchdown pass coming from behind against Arizona State. Good ball in the Pac-12 this past weekend. Oregon's number 10. Number 9. Miami Hurricanes. Worried about them. Down 10 against NC State. Then NC State stuff happened. Derek King, 430 yards passing, five touchdowns through the air on 76% completion. Oh, and he wasn't done there. 100 yards on the ground as well. Probably the best quarterback performance I've seen all year long. A tremendous game. NC State needed special teams. They needed a lot of everything to just hang with Miami. But the Hurricanes were resilient. They found a way to win, and that's massive for the ACC. So the Hurricanes still in the top 10. Number eight. Florida Gators. Kyle Trask might take exception with my statement on De'Eric King, that performance he had Friday, because against the Georgia Bulldogs in the world's biggest cocktail party, 474 through the air, four touchdowns, did have a pick, but against a Georgia defense we've all been told is one of the best in college football this year. I don't think Georgia's that great because Stetson Bennett is the quarterback. I'm sorry if Jake Fromm was still there. Maybe I would think a lot different about Georgia. In fact, I know I'd think a lot different, even if it was Jamie Newman playing quarterback there. Florida, they win the game on a neutral field. I don't want to take anything away from them, but I can't put them much higher than eight because of the rest of the teams you're about to hear from. Number seven, BYU. They've played eight games this year. Uh, I don't think anybody's played more than eight, and they're crushing everybody. Right after NC State Miami on Friday, I watched BYU play on the blue field in Boise, and they handed it to the ranked Broncos, 51-17. to They crushed him. We've been talking a lot about Wilson, the quarterback, and he's going to get a lot of the attention because of the numbers he's putting up. But BYU runs over people with their O-line and D-line. Really strong in the trenches, which you don't really expect from an independent out west. BYU, number seven. And I've seen some even rank them as high as number five. Number six. Texas A&M. I'm going to make this really simple. Coach, quarterback, running back. Jimbo Fisher, one of the few coaches in college football, active national championship winning coach. You got Kellen Mond at quarterback, Isaiah Spiller at running back. Plus, they've beaten the Florida Gators. That's better than any win that BYU has and better than any win Florida has, of course. So A&M, I have them ranked close to the top five. I couldn't quite break them into the top five. But the way their schedule breaks, as we've talked about ever since they beat Florida, they're in really good shape to be a one-loss team. Their only loss being to Alabama going into playoff consideration because odds are Bama is going to be the team from the SEC West going to the title game, which means A&M is going to be left out. We've seen it before. Bama got in with one loss in 2017. Could that happen again with AM? Something to keep a close eye on. Number five. Cincinnati Bearcats. Robert, you know who they're playing this week? I hope it's not the Pirates. They're playing the East Carolina Tackle uh, Football Pirates. And that game is in Cincinnati. That game never goes well for the Pirates. I feel bad for them because Cincinnati is the most consistently impressive team in America. 6-0, and and they're killing everybody. SMU, Memphis, and Houston. Robert, when you think of those three American Conference teams, what do you think you're getting when you run into SMU, Memphis, or Houston? Probably going to score a lot of points. On Probably going to score a lot of points. Cincinnati's faced all three, and the most any of those teams have scored is 13 points. They're playing terrific defense. They held Army to 10 as well. Uh, And then offensively, Desmond Ritter. He looks really good after looking very pedestrian from the get-go. Really love this Cincinnati team. Love Luke Fickle. They're a legit top five team in America and a team that could be 
a college football playoff buster. Number four. This might be the biggest shock of the list. Ohio State is number four on this list. Oh, but Josh, Clemson lost. We'll get to the Tigers in a bit. Ohio State's played three games. The Big Ten isn't any good. Outside of Ohio State, who are you going to sell me as the second best team? Indiana? That's what you're going to do? Northwestern? Are you kidding me? Penn State's 0-3, so I don't know how impressive that win for the Buckeyes really was a week ago. I almost want to put Cincinnati over Ohio State. I won't do that because of what I believe to be Ohio State going into this year. Justin Fields, Alave, uh, they have Sermons at running back. I like those guys, and I like Ryan Day, so I'll give them the benefit to put them at four at the moment, but not higher than that. The Big Ten is like the ACC last year. It's Ohio State and everybody else. Number three. Clemson Tigers. They fall from one to three. I'm going to break this down in the most simple way possible. Clemson's played eight games. Ohio State's played three. We have more sample with Clemson. Ohio State does not have a win that's nearly as good as Clemson blasting Miami earlier this year. They don't. Also, think about what it took for Clemson to lose a football game. Just think about this. Starting quarterback, three starters on defense, all missing the game last weekend. Oh, and on top of that, another starter out for the first half because of a dumb targeting foul from the previous game. Oh, and on top of that, you're playing the number four team in the country in their house in prime time. They have 10,000 fans in the stand, so it was a legit home field advantage. And that still took Notre Dame scoring in the final minute to tie it and two overtimes winner. Uh, two overtimes later, they survived the win. I'm sorry. Clemson's a better football team, and they have a better win than Ohio State, and we have a larger sample size. So I'm taking Clemson over the Buckeyes right now. Number three in my college football top ten. Number two. Notre Dame. They beat Clemson. They did it. <laughs> we, we haven't said that for an ACC team in years. 28-29 game winning streak in the ACC. They did it. Robert, we've been doing these ACC rankings. Uh, Brian Geisiger and myself for years. And we haven't been able to put anybody else at number one other than Clemson for years, plural. Notre Dame did beat Clemson. I see some still ranking Clemson ahead of a Notre Dame. Wins have to matter. There's likely going to be a rematch in Charlotte in about a month. But as of right now, Notre Dame beat Clemson. Oh, if Trevor Lawrence played, it would have been different. Perhaps. But DJ Uyangalale was terrific in that game. And Notre Dame stopped the run, holding Clemson to 33 rushing yards on 32 carries. That's very legit. Give Notre Dame the credit. They're the number two team in the country. Number one. East Carolina Pirates. Put some money on it. Yeah, it's Alabama. Easiest pick of the week. So dominant. LSU-Bama postponed. That's been announced in the last hour. Good thing for the Tigers because Bama, I think they lost 46-41 last year at home in Tuscaloosa. Yeah, they haven't forgotten that. And they were going to drop 50 on LSU if that game were to happen this weekend. So... They're going to try and reschedule that, even though LSU already has a game scheduled on December the 12th as a makeup game. They're going to play that championship on December 19th, so I don't know what they're going to do with this Bama-LSU uh, Bama game. I really don't. But Bama is number one in my college football top 10. A lot of fun. All right. Here's my question I have out here. Boy, what did the ACC or let me let me frame this differently. The ACC seems to have a problem with Wake Forest. What did Wake Forest do to hurt the ACC league office? We'll discuss that next on the drive. 
Josh Graham loves to talk sports. He also loves the way his new jeans highlight his man curves. Ooh, hot. Oh, yeah, that's hot. You're on The Drive with Josh Graham. Even uh, Even if it's in November, I love Masters Week. Excited for that. We're less than 48 hours away from that. And I'm looking at the odds here, and pretty much every book has Bryson DeChambeau as the favorite at 8-1. to one. I don't really see it because looking at his history at Augusta, he hasn't really performed well as a pro. He did really well as an amateur, I think, in 2015. Sanders Shoffley, he seems to be a popular pick that some have up there as well. But let's start with him as we're being joined now by Chip Patterson, who covers all things college sports for CBS Sports, but also golf as well. Big Hornets fan, so we'll have to get to the Hornets draft in a bit too. But staying with Bryson, do you view him as the odds-on favorite this week? Not my pick for the favorite, but I understand why he is, because if this uh, if this all ends up working, then you know he is going to win this thing by multiple strokes. And he could win this thing by as many as three or four strokes if he is cutting some of the aggressive corners that he's been talking about this week in terms of the dog legs at Augusta National, I think that what he's going to do is going to, you know, be very risky, but, you know, with risk comes reward. And if he's able to hit some of these distances, then he might have a wedge in his hand for all of his second shots. And we always say Augusta National is a second shot golf course that really favors some of the iron players but uh, the way that Bryson DeChambeau has been hitting the ball in 2020, it's very possible that we could see him win this battle against the course. Now, I am not going to be picking it. I'm not picking him to uh, win, and he is not, you know, my favorite. But I understand why he's the odds-on favorite, because he is making a gamble himself, and there is a chance that it succeeds. Follow him on Twitter at Chip underscore Patterson. Looking at some other front runners, less than 20 to 1 odds. Kepka, I mentioned softly. Rory, Justin Thomas, DJ at 9 to 1. And you could also get uh, John Rahm, who's already doing some things at the golf course today of note. I'm going to stick with the pick I had as a first impression from what this guy did last year. I'm going to go with Cantlay, who I think you're getting really good odds with, 25 to 1, but... He was right there in the mix last year. Webb Simpson, he's performed well, I think, of late, too, at Augusta. So I'm just going to pose this to you. Maybe not who is your top pick, but give me a sleeper or two you could see very well winning this tournament that might be an off-the-beaten-path pick. So number one, I'm right there with you with Cantlay. I mean, I think the dude's a stud. Ever since his performance sniffing the lead on the weekend uh, in 2019, he's just been a rocket ship since then. And when he's going out there and he's dialed in, he just makes it look so easy uh, just getting on a birdie train. And you're going to need to do that on the weekend if if you want to be able to win. Speaking of that mentality, speaking of the the way that you go about your business, uh, excuse me for the puns, but like Matthew Wolf is just a straight predator. I mean, we remember the way that he just sort of flashed out of nowhere at the U.S. Open, and we were looking like, wait, is this guy going to like sneakily win this thing? Obviously, Bryson ended up pulling away, and that was Bryson's moment. But I, I think that Matthew Wolf making his first start at Augusta National, I don't know if there's a, a rookie at Augusta that I would have more confidence in. So I really like Matthew Wolf right there. You know, He's got odds around the same areas where Tiger Woods is. And I think that Tiger Woods is too high. And I think that Matthew Wolf is too low as in he should be closer to some of those players around 20 to one. And then uh, speaking of that, I think down around 50 to one, you can get Justin Rose. And I think that he is a player who like, yes, he has been up and down in terms of his performance recently, but he was, he's got a couple of runner up finishes at the masters since 2015, and some of his inconsistencies has been working through some equipment changes. And I think that Justin Rose, uh, if he's able to catch some fire, that is great value for somebody with a lot of experience and success there. Now, he is, again, around uh, other golfers. Like, he's around Scotty Scheffler and Jordan Spieth, where Jordan Spieth, 
yes, has more major championship success than Rose's one major, but his game has been a total mess, just lost in the woods. Scotty Scheffler has played better than Rose recently, but does not have that major championship success. So Matthew Wolf, Justin Rose are probably the two that I look to, uh, but I do like your Cantlay call as well. Who are you picking to win this tournament? Have you decided yet? Yeah, I, you can find them on CBSSports.com. There you go. Uh, and I've been a part of the CBS Sports HQ coverage of Masters Week all week. I'm with I'm on John Rahm. Um, I think that this is just somebody who has all, like, I promise you this is not just something that's fun to say. He's got all the shots. He can work it right to left. He can work it left to right. He can go hit it low. He can hit it high. And I just think that it, it's going to take some creativity, especially if weather becomes a factor and it's looking like it's going to, that you need to be able to have lots of different ways to hit it into these green complexes. And I just think that there's not a lot of holes in his game. You know, he doesn't lead the way in driving distance, but he always ends up in the top 10 in strokes gained off the tee. He doesn't always lead in proximity to hole, but he always has a pretty good uh, strokes gained on approach shots. Like he just, he doesn't have weaknesses. Xander Shoffley is another uh, player who's like that, but when you've got that kind of consistency in your game where you're not relying so heavily, like Bryson DeChambeau, for example, without a doubt, the best driver of the golf ball in the sport right now, but strokes gained on approach shot, he's outside of the top 100. So there is weaknesses in Bryson DeChambeau's game. It's from 75 to 100 yards, 100 to 125 yards. John Rahm doesn't have that, and that's because John Rahm doesn't lean on one thing. He has all the shots. Chip Patterson with us, CBS Sports, CBS Sports HQ. On Twitter, at Chip underscore Patterson. You can find him there. All that analysis, it's very objective. It's all very good. Now let's remove the objective hat and put on the subjective one because you're a massive Charlotte basketball fan dating back to the Bobcats days. Now, of course, with the Hornets, they have a top three pick. I talked to you the day after the lottery came out, and you were telling me, man, I don't know what this feeling's like to upgrade the pick, and it's happened here where they have the number three choice, and there's just so much information out there. The way that leading up to the NFL draft, so much is out there, and you don't know what's real, and you don't know what's fake. So I want to ask you this, not from who you think they're going to take that perspective, just from a personal perspective here. Who do you want them to take? Give me your top three. No, I don't want... Listen, I'm in this dark place where I don't like any of them. You know, I've I've done too much research, and I don't think that uh, any like you know James Wiseman, Anthony Edwards, Lamelo Ball, like the, you, we can rank these prospects against each other. But I'm truly more encouraged by the baby buzz that we saw take over late in the season before the NBA season shut everything down because of the coronavirus. So and I'm I'm more excited about seeing uh, how that group, how Miles Bridges, Devonte Graham, PJ Washington to see how they continue to gel together. And it's almost like the last thing that I would want is to disrupt the baby buzz uh, by bringing in somebody who would, you know, require so much attention. Like, All right, I like this then. I like this. Let's go negative then. Who do you least want among the names being thrown around? LaMelo Ball. I just, you know, I just think that for all, everything that he could bring, that is just somebody who is going to require the ball in their hand. And I, I really like... Devontae Graham leading the offense. Like, so as a fan, I, I would rather uh, hope that some team really wants whoever is left on the board on draft night, and maybe you get to trade down, and maybe you're able to collect some assets because not no one at the top of this draft board really excites me for the instant impact that they could have on the 2020-2021 season uh, quite like my excitement for just seeing what the young core is going to do with a little bit more time together. Let me ask you this in regards to LaMelo Ball. Michael Jordan owns the team. I know Mitch Kupchak's the one doing all the scouting and all this, but you're going to have to deal with LeVar. He's going to be in your building, and he made a big part of his public image by saying he could beat Michael Jordan one-on-one. -on -one. And, you know, Michael even responded to it saying that this guy's a joke or whatever at one of his basketball camps, if Kupchak went into Michael's office and said, we're thinking about LaMelo, would you sign off on this? Do you think Michael nixes that or just lets uh, Mitch Kupchak cook? I mean, I just think that uh, 
Michael Jordan is not at all intimidated by the idea of LeVar Ball being around. If he thinks it's going to make the franchise better, he's going to move forward. I I don't know if LaMelo Ball has the kind of uh, profile that Michael makes Michael Jordan think it would make the franchise better. I, I don't think – I truly believe Michael Jordan when he says – and it seems to indicate that LeVar is, is not a, an impact uh, in his world at all. Okay. Last thing I want to ask you here. BDOT's a friend of ours and uh, a friend of mine, and he's coming in studio tomorrow. He lost a bet regarding the Dallas Cowboys where he has to sing karaoke songs of our choosing on the air. And I have him down to three here, and I want you to tell me what would be the most embarrassing song to have to sing on the air if you had to, Chip Patterson. I'm thinking he's also a, a, a massive Carolina fan, so I figured that should be worth noting because Every Time We Touch by Cascada is one that I was considering. My Heart Will Go On is another one that I'm looking at as well. And he also told me last night he didn't know what Wagon Wheel was. So those are the three I have written down here. Which would be the most embarrassing to sing? Every Time We Touch, because it is so synonymous with Cameron Indoor Stadium now, after all these years, that it would disgust him much more to sing that. My Heart Will Go On, he ends up winning that one because it would be funny and he could make it theatrical. And he ends up actually on the winning side of it. And the confusion... As he uh, as he works his way through wagon wheel, might not actually make for good radio. So give him something he knows and something he hates. There you go, Chip Patterson, always coming through on whatever we ask you about. Maybe we'll get into college football the next time that you drop by. Enjoy the Masters, my friend, and we'll continue to watch and read your work. Thanks for doing this. Sounds good. Y'all be well. There you go. It's Chip Patterson on Twitter at chip underscore Patterson. It's good reasoning. It's good logic there, Robert. He thinks I should go every time we touch. I don't want to throw Wagon Wheel at him if he doesn't know Wagon Wheel because then that doesn't really seem like a punishment, and it could be just very bad radio. My heart will go on. I think BDOT wins. I think BDOT wins. My heart will go on. And, you know, it's a bet. It should be a punishment. Every time we touch, I think there's possibility, Robert, where we could use that, we could repurpose that some way, shape, or form when it comes to Duke doing something well, don't you think? I mean, it really just comes down to how well he sings the songs, what version of these songs he sings, because I'm sure there's going to be an instance where he doesn't know the words and has to ad-lib or anything along those lines when we're handing him songs he doesn't know. So do you think he knows any of these songs we're going to give him? I think he knows My Heart Will Go On and Every Time We Touch. Do you think you, he knows the words to those songs? Probably not, but that's why we give him the songs ahead of time. So that way he can have some familiarity with them before he walks into the studio. I'm looking at the poll that we have right now. This one's been going back and forth, Robert. It seems the two favorites among the audience's choices, Man, I Feel Like a Woman and Hollaback Girl. Man, I Feel Like a Woman was leading last I checked, but now it's Hollaback Girl in the lead. So you guys have 20 minutes or so to vote on this before, or make it about 10 minutes to vote on this before we make a ruling. We're going to call it and stop the count. Hollaback girl, man, I feel like a woman. Vote on that poll at Sports Hub Triad. Just a friend by Bismarcky and meme by Taylor Swift also in the mix as well. You are, you've already gone with Rhinestone Cowboy. That's really good. It sounds like if this holds true... If it's Hollaback Girl that wins, we're going to be giving him three different genres. We'll be giving him Rhinestone Cowboy, which is, you know, country slash western. If we throw at him every time we touch, that's going to be EDM. Hollaback Girl will be more hip-hop. Pop. Pop music, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know about hip-hop, but yeah, I think that's a good way to do it. Spread it out and give him a little taste of everything. But... You have a little bit more time to have your voice heard. We also had Matthew McConaughey on the show earlier, who was fantastic. If you missed that, there's already a story up at accsports.com about it. You can find it. Just search The Drive with Josh Graham wherever you get your podcast. The interview's already up. And in terms of the highlights, rather than just playing full answers, I'm just interested in playing some sounds where we have these potential things as drops 
where Matt, Matthew McConaughey is talking about Mac Brown and talking about the Tar Heels. Let's just roll through these. Howdy, Coach Brown. Yes, sir. He's a good man. That seems like something we can use moving forward. And I think there, there's also a place where we could use this if need be. So I do say go Tar Heels. He was worried about that one. He's he's really smart. He knows what we can do on the radio around here with the ed- editing capabilities. Delightful guy. Very distinctive voice. Very distinctive laugh. Both these laughs. Very different, but very enjoyable. Very uh, delightful. <laughs> you like that one. I, I like this one more. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> all right, all right, all right. We probably should have done a giveaway or something for the best McConaughey impression on air. Because everybody seems to have a McConaughey. Whether it's the Lincoln commercials or, you know, him and Dazed and Confused way back when. I'm excited to, to flip through his entire book, Green Lights, which he was promoting. But another reason he was with us was because it's the 50-year anniversary Saturday of the Marshall plane crash that led to the movie We Are Marshall, uh, where he's the coach that took over the program that had no players at that point in 1970. It was leaving East Carolina University. ECU was bad that year. They won. I've heard stories about that day where guys would be celebrating, uh, uh, fans would be celebrating downtown, and then they heard the news one way or the other, and the celebratory scene quickly turned into something very somber. And everybody left downtown and thought, man, how is the team that we just saw all gone? But enjoyed his perspective on that, talking about background, sharing some stories there, and, and a ton of a ton of other things. Really good stuff. Appreciated the time from Mac. All right, we got Take It to the House to do in a minute. Your calls welcome at 336-777-1600. That is the phone number on Twitter, at Sports Hub Triad, if you care to chime in that way. Robert, should we go to the phones or should we go to Take It to the House? What should we do right now? I know we have somebody on the line. But you got JT in Greensboro here. Let's go to JT in Greensboro before we take it to the house. JT, what do you got for me? Hey, you taking it to the house? Yeah. Let's. How about uh, "Like a Virgin" by Madonna for B dot? Mm, see, we've we've gotten. It's a good one. Let me think on that for a sec. Thanks for the call, JT. It's appreciated. But we've we've gotten so many submissions for this, and we narrowed it down to four, and we got the vote, and it's right here at the end. So that feels like maybe you sent your absentee ballot rather than last Tuesday. You mailed it out on Wednesday when it was postmarked. Yeah, he said he tweeted it out, but we never talked about it, and he just joined Twitter. I missed it. I'm sorry about that, man. Sorry we missed that. Uh, Sailing by Criss Cross, that that didn't make the cut either. A lot of them. Regardless, I think we're all going to win tomorrow. Where we got B Dot singing three karaoke songs, and then we got Roy Williams on Thursday. Just so much for us to do. 